Well, hello again and welcome not only to Chase Oaks Church, but also to this experience, this five week sermon series and small group experience called The Gamble, where we're uncovering some of the bad bets we base our lives on. These are assumptions that we've just grown up with in our culture that sound right, but aren't right. And they end up uh, not serving us well. And, and we, I believe Jesus wants to speak into that uh, because it's in the truth uh, that we'll find freedom. And if you're not in a group yet, let me encourage you to dive into a small group. It's not too late to do that. You can go to our website, find out uh, how to do that. Uh, there are virtual groups, online groups, as well as in-person groups. And, uh, and it'll be a great way, I think, just to push the reset button and our spiritual disciplines to say, you know what, I'm going to do church again and have a routine online or in person. I'm going to be in a group. I'm going to serve whatever those good spiritual disciplines to kind of push the restart button. Well, today's bad bet, um, one that most Americans seem very happy to make right now, um, is actually a really, really destructive one. And we're seeing that right now. We're seeing how it, it, it's a really, really bad bet as we've started 2021. And it's been a real bummer, you know, especially with the capital thing and all that that happened because for a lot bummer for a lot of reasons. But I think for a lot of us, we were just thinking, well, 2021 is going to be awesome because 2022, I mean, 2020 is kind of stunk and it's going to be great in a whole new year. And it didn't take very long, right? Uh, just six days in and then that happened. And like a friend of mine uh, prayed, um, God, do you have a seven day return policy for 2021? Because I want to turn that in and that would be awesome, right? And just to do a do over in, in a, in a restart because that was, uh, that was certainly tough. Now the good news is, uh, Monday, January 11th happened. Um, Alabama became the national champions again. So already things are getting better. But, uh, but on a serious note, I mean, with, with, Lots of things that we learn from what happened on the 6th in the Capitol, you know, what happened. But certainly just one more display of how divided, how polarized, how much of a us versus them thing we have going in our culture right now that's just killing us as a culture. And it, and it leads to this, to our next bad bet. And that is that life is best surrounded only people only by people just like me. The life's too short to be with people who disagree with me or whatever. And so I just need to be surrounded only by people just like me. And you see that happening in our culture I think more than ever in my lifetime as we separate and segregate into our own little echo chambers, uh, us versus them, where people just agree with me and think like me and anybody who doesn't, I cancel. Which, I mean, that's even coined a new phrase that I don't remember ever hearing until 2020. And that is cancel culture. And you think, well, what is cancel culture? Cancel culture is this thing that we have going right now where people have their finger on the cancel button ready to push at, at the smallest disagreement. And if somebody says something that doesn't agree with me or even insinuate something that I might disagree with, then I push cancel. And, uh, and because now... You're not uh, you're not us anymore. You're not me. You're them. Uh, you're different than me. You're not like. So we push cancel. Uh, that's true all over our culture. And, and, uh, and, you know, where so we choose to unfollow or leave uh, an association we have or segregate or separate into our own little groups of people. 
And it, and, and I know a little bit about cancel culture. Actually, I know a good bit about it because as just like every public figure in our country, I've been canceled by some people. And they go, well, why? You know, why? How could you cancel somebody as cute as me? You know, but uh, but it, it happens. Believe it or not, it hap- it's happening all over. And you think, well, it's, it, you know, here, I mean, where does that happen? Well, here's some of the reasons, uh, um, you know, because it's been this perfect storm right in our culture uh, for the kind of division as we've gone through a, a very uh, politicized pandemic we're in the middle of as we go. We've gone through the race uh, stuff. And that got politicized, too, and the contentious election season that's still kind of lingering on. And so you think, well, OK, where have we seen like cancel culture? Jeff, what are you talking about? Well, one is right here. Masks. That became a really big deal and still is. And there have been people that have pushed the cancel button uh, because we've asked people to wear masks at Chase Oaks. Uh, you know, we uh, we had some months where we didn't meet in person because of the pandemic. Uh, we didn't want to spread the disease. And then uh, when we joined back up again and say, yeah, you can come physically. We've asked everybody to wear a mask. Now, if you would have told me three or four years ago or even, I don't know, eight months ago that this would be controversial, um, I would have said, no, come on. But it is. And it's been interesting to see uh, or to hear all the different theories about me or about our church, like why we've asked people to wear a mask. And, and one of those I've heard as well, you know, Jeff, or the church is going liberal and we're listening to the so-called experts who, you know, th- this disease is not even a real thing. It's not that big of a deal, but they're making a big deal because it's a political thing. And they sold out to that or bought into that. I don't hear that so much anymore that it surged up so big. But boy, did I hear that a lot. Uh, I, heard, I certainly had a number of people say, you know, well, obviously you just don't have faith. And if you had faith, I mean, God's not going to allow us to get sick and, and you, you know, you, and that kind of thing. And I've heard that. I've heard lots of theories about what I think about masks. But let me just fill you in why we ask people to do that. And it's nothing to do with any of that. Uh, the reason we do it is love. Uh, because that's the ethic at, at, for Jesus followers is love. And what I mean by that. Uh, one of the ways love plays out is that it's an other folk, other person focused way of life. And, and therefore, if me being uh, me giving up my right, because some people are saying, well, you're infringing our rights. You should treat me like an adult. I, you know, just, you know, just make it optional. And you're an adult. And if you want to wear a mask, wear a mask. If you don't want to wear a mask, don't wear a mask. I'm not going to tell you what to do because you've got rights. You're an adult. I'm going to treat you like an adult. And that's the way you should do it. We don't do that. And the reason is. Is because of love, because the love ethic says it's not about me. It's about other people. And if other people either are safer, if I wear a mask or even if I don't buy that, if they even just feel safer to come to church and to connect with God and all that, then by me wearing a mask, then that's something that's not that hard for me to do. It may not be comfortable. I may give up my right. But here's the deal. You and I are never more like Jesus than when we give up our rights or when we sacrifice for the sake of somebody else to connect with God. And so that's why we wear masks. And if some people say, well, I, I can't do, I'm going to push cancel. Okay, whatever. Uh, another one, you know, the race stuff uh, that we've gone through. That's been interesting too, as we've tried to navigate as a church, the, the racial tensions that were there, but have surfaced up over the course of this last 12 months. And we've tried as a church to join with other churches in Collin County 
to not just be reactive, but proactive when it comes to uh, when it comes to race and in helping us move further um, and, and to say, hey, we, we want to we are because this is a gospel issue, a Christian issue. It's not a cultural issue or political issue. Racism is a biblical one to say, hey, we want to be against racism and for justice and for unity. And we've joined with a number of helped organize it, helped a number of, you know, with, I don't know, 30 or 40 uh, churches in Collin County to say, hey, we want to influence the way this is the, the journey happens in Collin County, not just in our church to be very proactive. And so we've done the the large, you know, the prayer gatherings that we did, unity table that a, a number of churches and cities now have, um, you know, have joined up with. And to the extent that we have done that. Um, you uh, should be proud of churches in Collin County. Um, it, it's actually a really unique and, and powerful story. But I get some people, it's been politicized and have all kinds of theories about why that's somehow a bad thing. Uh, another one um, is the political, you know, the election. And, uh, and that one's always interesting because when, when people get upset about something and they try to guess where I am politically, what I've found is, they always guess the opposite of whatever they are, that that's what I am, which means most of the time, guess what? They're not right. Not even close, but it doesn't even matter because what unites us as a church is not politics. What unites us as a church is not a political candidate or a political party. What unites us as a church is a commitment to King Jesus and to his kingdom. And we're citizens of heaven representative here. And, uh, and therefore, we're all over the place when it comes to that other stuff, because that's not what unites us. Now, I'll quit talking about that because I know it's a little uncomfortable, but it's just interesting how uh, cancel culture is something that it's not just me and it's not just our church. It is everywhere, every church, every pastor and not just church. It's just all over the place. Cancel culture. And I think it's particularly dangerous thing. I mean, it's certainly dangerous in our culture, but it's it's particularly tempting for religious people to enter into cancel culture. Because as for religious people, you think, well, I want to be totally committed. I don't want to compromise. I want to be, you know, I, and so therefore I need to surround myself with people who think like I do so that I don't get watered down or confused or whatever, because, uh, you know, I, the, and therefore the most godly people, the most committed people will have the most narrow relationships. And and will just spend their time with people who agree with them and think like they do. And and so the more godly you are, the more narrow your associations will be. Two thousand years ago, when Jesus came to this planet, the religious establishment, Pharisees, Sadducees and all that are a great example of that, because that's exactly how they lived. It's one of the things that really drove them nuts about Jesus who claimed to be the Messiah, who eventually claimed to be let them know he's actually God. They rejected and pushed cancel in large part because he included in his life all the wrong people. He didn't play into cancel culture. He had, in fact, the most broad relationships, not only of religious people, but of anybody in a culture that was more divided and more polarized than even uh, than even we are. And today we're going to look at a passage of scripture and I could go to a bunch of them. Because I believe that what as Jesus is going to speak into his culture, but also our culture, because I'm confident that if Jesus was here and he was going to speak into our culture right now, he would say to those of us who are his followers, cancel, cancel culture. 
don't play into this. Don't be fooled by it. Don't be tricked by it. Because it is devastating to culture. It is devastating to the mission. It is devastating to church. And it is also devastating to your soul and my soul. And it makes our life tiny. And we actually go against what God is trying to do. Now, we're going to see that. And uh, as he is interacting with his followers, with his disciples, in, one, in a passage of Scripture in the New Testament, Luke chapter 9. And we see how patient Jesus is with his disciples, which is good news for somebody like me. Because I am from Alabama, so it takes me a while to get things. You know, I'm a little slow. And they were too. And uh, and this is toward the end of Jesus's ministry. And he's meaning he's about to make this turn in Luke chapter 9 toward Jerusalem for the last time. Which means he's about to go and die on the cross three days later, be raised from the dead. And then uh, a few weeks later, he'll ascend to heaven, hand the mission over to his disciples. And he's got to get them ready. And they're not ready. And this is one of those last lessons that they still don't get because they're still in cancel culture mode. He's got to get them out of that mode. And in Luke chapter nine, uh, you see these two little stories back to back in, in the first one in Luke nine forty nine. Master said, John, one of those disciples, we saw someone driving out demons in your name and we tried to stop him because he's not one of us. So the problem, right, that they had is like, somebody's doing something good. They're driving out demons and, you know, they're oppressive and terrible and all. They're doing that in Jesus's name, but they're not officially on the team. They're really not one of us. They're them. Even though they're doing something good, they're not us. They're them. And so the disciples were like, well, we got to cancel this. So they try to stop it. And they tell Jesus about it, thinking that Jesus is going to say, ah, thank goodness. I'm so glad I got people like you to... Handle this. But that's, of course, not what he does. Do not stop him, Jesus said, for whoever is not against you is for you. The word there, the little phrase, do not stop him. The, the grammatical, con, the grammatic construct in the original language of the New Testament uh, is a present command. And all that means is this is this what they would have heard is not just don't do that in this one instance. Don't stop him. But never do that. He's saying, look, what you're doing right now, pushing the cancel button on somebody because they're not you, even though they're doing something good. Never do that. That's not the way we roll. Don't do that. Don't stop him. Why? Because who's never, whoever is not against you is for you. Don't make friends. I mean, don't make enemies out of friends. And if people are doing good, don't cancel them. Connect with them. That's the first story. The next story is significantly more dramatic. And he sent messengers, Jesus did, on ahead. Now, he's, he's in Samaria. I, I need to give the background here a little bit. So Jesus is going to Jerusalem for the last time where he's going to die on the cross, like I said, be raised from the dead, so on. And Israel was divided into two geographies. In the North Galilee, that's where Jesus grew up, where most of the disciples were from. And that's where they are at the beginning of this story. He's getting down to Judea, which is in the south where Jerusalem is, the temple and all that, to celebrate Passover. He's going to go down there. But in the middle is this region called Samaria. Now, so they had to go from Galilee through Samaria to get to Jerusalem. Now, I can't give all the reasons why. I don't have time to do that. But Jews and Samaritans hated each other. They definitely canceled each other out. 
in cancel culture. Uh, it was way more as polarized as we are with this group and this group in our culture. This was way more polarized, way more violent as well. They hated each other. In fact, every good Jew would have been taught you hate Samaritans. Every good Samaritan would have been taught we hate Jews. And therefore, with Jesus, um, when he came on the scene claiming to be the one sent from God, the Messiah and all that, that everybody would have assumed, well, of course, he's going to hate Samaritans more than everybody. But as you know, the ministry of Jesus, and this is at the end of, toward the end of Jesus's ministry, the disciples were with him for three or four years. You know the stories about the good Samaritan, maybe. Maybe you've read the story about the Samaritan woman at the well and all that. That he didn't do that. He didn't cancel the Samaritans. He didn't hate the Samaritans. He didn't see them as enemies. He saw them as people to love, to build bridges to, to reach out to. And that's what he did. So now he's going through Samaria for the last time. It's a three-day journey to get through Samaria to walk as they were doing. And it says he sent messengers on ahead to this village that he wants to stop in, Samaritan village, who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. Now, we don't know what that means. Like if he if it's about getting lunch, like he wanted a nugget tray or if it's about lodging or a place of ministry or all of that. But we know what happens. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. They were offended And so they cancel him. They're like, we don't want you. We don't want Jesus in our village because it's heading for Jerusalem. Why is that a problem? Well, the Samaritans had heard about Jesus. They knew about Jesus. Many of them had come to believe in Jesus. But there's this big, this is the Passover that they're going down to, this big festival feast that both Samaritans and Jews participated in. But the Samaritans had their place of worship. The Jews had their place of worship at the temple. Jesus is choosing sides by going to Jerusalem and they he's picked the wrong side from their perspective. And so they're like, you know what? Even though some of those who may have believed in him are like not anymore because he's them. He's not us. So they push the cancel button. They cancel Jesus. And how did the disciples respond to that? Pretty dramatic. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Now, you have to understand, the disciples earlier in the chapter had just been given this new authority to do some really cool stuff spiritually. And they're kind of feeling pretty big about it. And so this time, I mean, they think, okay, they canceled. They canceled you, Jesus. Let's cancel them permanently. We'll just what right now. We'll just call down fire from heaven. You want us to do that, Jesus? You want us to do that favor? We'll do it right now and we'll cancel them for good. Now, I don't know what in those few years caused them to think that that Jesus would be like, oh, that's such a great idea. You guys get it. I'm so glad this does me. This does me so good. I, I'm just so proud of you right now. I can't I can't even stand it. Let's make a picture right now. Let's do a selfie. I just want to remember this moment. Why they thought it would be that way, I don't know. Because Jesus turned and rebuked them. Uh, the word uh, translated rebuked is actually a really, really strong word. Um, it, it's, the, it's the same word that's always used whenever Jesus rebukes demons. In the same way, he rebuked them. And by the way, when you look at what one of the strategies of Satan and demons, one of the things that they do, one of their big strategies is polarization and division. 
and families and churches and culture. That's their jam. That's what they do. It's just part of what they do to destroy things. And, and Satan, the Bible says, the New Testament, much of the New Testament is about unity because Satan is always trying to cause disunity. And sometimes we need to be willing to rebuke each other because any of us can slip into that. And we feel right. We feel justified. Can you believe that's happening? Or can you think? And, you know, and sometimes we need to say, hey, wait a minute. It's okay to be frustrated, but it's not okay to handle it like that. And that's what Jesus is doing. And he rebukes them. And it says he and his disciples went on to another village. Now, that little phrase, that little thing can feel like a throwaway verse in the Bible. Like, I don't know how many of you are going to make this your life verse and memorize it, put it on your wall. But it actually is a significant verse in this story because it's not just a travel statement. This is a missional statement. It says he and his disciples did what? They went to another village. What kind of village? A Samaritan village. There's three day journey. So he's just going to another Samaritan village. Even though the Samaritans just canceled him, Jesus isn't going to cancel even the people that cancel him. The disciples saw Samaritans as the enemy. They saw them as somebody to fight. Jesus saw them as somebody to reach, as people to love. And therefore, he's just going to go to the next Samaritan village to connect, to love, to build a bridge, to minister. See, the disciples, and they would get out of this mindset, but their mindset was very much a us versus them, us versus the Samaritan. It's this battle that we're in against them and cancel culture mentality. And Jesus had to pull them out of it. But this is a version of Christianity they had, which is not a Jesus version, but it's alive and well today. And it's a big part of the problem with what's happening today and how Christians are contributing to the problem today. And it's what I'll call culture war Christianity. Um, culture war Christianity is basically this. And, and you've, if you've been around Christians, you've, you've heard some of this stuff before. And it's a, it's a perversion of Christianity, but it sounds so good. It's easy to be like, yeah, yeah. So culture war Christianity says basically that we're in this battle for our culture. And, and there are people who disagree with us, who have a different morality and different perspective about things. It's not biblical. And we're here to basically battle them because we're right, they're wrong, to get our way to it because we're here to form a Christian nation. In a Christian, and, and it's Christian nationalism. So, and therefore, either we need to fight these people so that we can take America back as if we ever had it, or to, you know, basically create this Christian nation. And therefore, people who disagree with me are people to battle, um, and it's us against them. Now, that is not the Christian mission. That is not what we're in the world to do. Uh, we're not here to create a Christian nation. I think, well, why not? Well, we're here as God's people, citizens of heaven, to be representative here. Not just, to, not just to create a moral nation and to get people to agree with us and be moral. We're here to win people over to a relationship with Jesus. And to relay the good news of Jesus and his message so that people, we, to win them over, not through battling them, but through love, so that people then begin a relationship with Jesus, come as you are, so they can be transformed from the inside out and then make a difference in the world. And yes, that does create a better culture. 
But it's not by fighting people. It's by reaching people and loving people. In other words, for Jesus, the world of people is not a battlefield, but a mission field. Yes, there is a battle, but it's not against people. As Paul said, the battle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against people. It's against principalities and powers. It's against Satan and demons who are at work. And what do they do? One of the things they do is they divide people. They do exactly what we're seeing in our culture. And our job, therefore, is not to do cancel culture. Our job is to reject cancel culture and be people who show the way to something better. To win people over through changed lives, through good works, through love, through showing what unity looks like in the church. This diverse group of people that are unified around a common commitment to Jesus. And that's why when you look at. At the New Testament, it talks a lot about how we are to connect to our culture, not to do the culture war thing where we build our castles and shoot our cannons from our walls and, you know, try to do that or you know, not to build walls, but instead to build bridges of connection. To win people over through love, to actually relate and, and to build relationships. And, and here's some of the things that the New Testament tells us. Now, keep in mind. When the New Testament is talking about people outside the faith who disagree with us out in culture in 2000 years ago for Christians, they were persecuting Christians. It was way worse than anything that we ever face here. And these are phrases that are pulled from the New Testament letters. That's all I'm doing. This isn't my words. This is just what the apostles told the churches to do. Imagine if Christians were known for what just all these commands. In this cancel culture world we live in with people we disagree with, with people in culture, what are we to do? Be peaceable, be considerate, be respectful. Again, I've just pulled these from New Testament passages. Always be gentle, be kind, slander no one, be humble, be impartial, be sincere, be accommodating, be full of mercy, love them. Pray for them Win the respective outsiders by your way of life, live such good lives among them that they no longer have anything bad to say about you. Make the gospel attractive, the good news of Jesus, the gospel, by the way you relate as you work with them in your jobs every week, every day. All of these demand proximity. That we are actually connecting with people, not building walls, not retreating into our own little echo chambers, not separating from people, but engaging people and doing so in a winsome way. And I believe that now more than ever, our culture is so hungry for the church to be the church. That in a divided world, all the more important for the church to be united and to show what it looks like to disagree agreeably and to be in our world in, in a different way. In fact, as, as hard as, you know, the last 10 days have been in our culture, I'm really hopeful. As I pray about what happened on January 6th, um, I'm praying, and I, and I really believe it. I, I'm praying that I hope something worse doesn't have to happen. But what I see happening in our culture for most people is kind of this thing of, you know what, enough's enough. Like, Enough. In fact, even after that happened on the 6th, I was I, I watched um, the uh, when the Senate came back together, I watched the what happened right at the beginning. And several senators spoke before they got back to the work that they were doing. I was really encouraged by that. 
Some of those who spoke were Jesus followers who also happened to be senators and uh, very strong Jesus followers. And they were doing the Jesus follower thing. I thought really both sides of the aisle. I thought really well. Because essentially what they were saying is, you know what, we can disagree. And that's okay, because in a republic, that's actually a good thing. But we want the same thing in the end. And we've got to remember that. And we've got to do better than this. Because we're called to be better than this, and we can be better than this. And I, I just think there is a hunger, and there will be a growing hunger in our culture for somebody to show the way forward. And I think it should be the church. I think it's got to be. In fact, that's the one thing Jesus prayed for. For the church in John 17, when he was still on this planet, he prayed for you and me. If you're if you know Jesus, if you're a believer, I know not all of you are yet. But if you are, he actually prayed one prayer for you and me on the planet of those who would come to believe through the message of the disciples. That's us. And here's what he prayed. John 17, that we would be one just as one as Jesus is with God, the father. And it says so that a skeptical world will know that Jesus is legit. And legitimacy, he ties legitimacy in with unity of the church. That a watching world and such a polarized world would look and say, wow, where, where else does that happen? Like, look at that. All these people who should not be together, who should not love each other, but they are. And that's who God is calling us to be. With each other, unity, and outside that, a kind of civility that wins people over with humility and respect and all of that. You know, this is Martin Luther King weekend. And what a great weekend to say, hey, let's cancel, cancel culture. At least my contribution to that. Martin Luther King once said, we must learn to live together as brothers or perish together as fools. Who could argue with that right now? When it comes to church and what God is calling us to be, he also famously said, it is appalling that the most segregated hour of Christian America is 11 a.m. on Sunday morning. And that is sad because, you know, Jesus's dream for the church. I mean, he's talking about um, he's talking about racial segregation and specifically and, and Jesus's dream for the church is not to be segregated. It's right. It's, it's to show unity, this, this crazy unity of people from all different cultures and ethnicities and mindsets and all kinds of things that 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 we're actually together around a common commitment to Jesus. That's the way heaven will be. Church is to be a preview of what heaven will be. Every tongue, every tribe, every nation, all together around the throne of God. That's what God is calling us to be as his church. And, and at Chase Oaks, that's, that, that dream is something we really take seriously. Um, we actually are a multi-ethnic, multicultural church. Like, sociologically, we are. I mean, it means if you're... Uh, you know, we're about 70 percent white, so we're predominantly a white church with. But when you have anything more than 80 percent or less than 80 percent, one thing that makes you multicultural sociologically, which means for us, about one out of every three or one out of every four people at Chase Oaks is is not white, is some other ethnicity. And that doesn't mean, hey, we've done checked. We're learning what it means to be an increasingly multi-ethnic church that reflects our community in terms of its its diversity. And uh, and it's it's not easy to do that. Um, and I'm talking about easy for people in the church. Like it, it's easier, um, especially for those in the minority right now, because it's been so hard that, that I, I really admire those of you who are who are patient with us in the process and are helping us. We have a diverse elder team, a diverse leadership team and so on. 
but people who are helping us navigate this. Because for those of us who are in the majority to learn to listen, as we talked about earlier in the service, and to be not only empathetic, but also repentant and say, man, how are we actually part of the problem and, and, and how can we not be? And what does it mean for us to do church differently? And it means because I know it'd be so much easier for people just to retreat back to say, I just want to be with people who are just like me. But that's not what Jesus is up to. And we're trying to do the harder thing because we believe that's the dream of Jesus. And I, I really thank you as a church as we've navigated this by and large um, to say, hey, let's push into this. Let, let's 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 learn. Let's let's take new steps and fresh steps. Now, that's just like racial segregation is just one form of things that divide us. Right. There's all kinds of things that divide us. Because the American bet is life is best surrounded only by people like me. I mean, whether we'd say that or not, that's kind of what is happening with cancel culture. And Jesus would say, that's a really bad bet. Because not only is it contrary to what he's doing and to the mission of God, it also leads to a really small, tiny life, a perversion of life. Not the kind of life that he really wants for us. Not the kind of life he lived. And so my question for us is one that I've been asking myself this week, because Jesus, this is a story about Jesus rebukes his followers 2000 years ago who were very comfortable with cancel culture. And he rebukes them to say, cancel that. It's made me ask if Jesus came here and had a conversation with me 2000 years later. Would he rebuke me? And the hard part about that is what? What came into my mind is, yeah, he would. Uh, Because there are some people, and it's not probably who you think, but there are some people that I've kind of moved away from um, because I just don't understand their perspective at all. I don't even understand how they can think that way. And so it's just easier to pull apart when I believe God would call me to say, you know what, I need to understand that more. I need to move toward somebody who's different than me and just say, help me understand. I don't understand right now. Would you help me understand this? And so that's my work to do. If you ask God that question, I don't know what he'll say. But we're about to do it. And just say, it's a, it just say God, however you want to rebuke me, I, rebuke me. It may be that God will just encourage you to say, you know what? Don't grow weary in well-doing. You're, you're in it, and it'd be easier not to be, but you are. And I know it's tiring, just stay in it. And that would be awesome. Um, but let's go to God right now and just ask him the dangerous question. Because he wants something so much better for us than what cancel culture will bring. So let's bow our heads together. God, first of all, I just thank you for your patience with us as your followers. Because you know we're sinful, broken, messed up human beings. And, and we just want to be comfortable when you want us to be something more than that, better than that. And so, God, in this cultural moment, just speak into our heart right now. And, and, and God, we just ask you the question, is there any way that you'd want to rebuke us as your followers? Any correction? Or maybe, God, you just want to encourage us to say, you know what? Hang in there. I know it's hard. But you're in it. You're doing the hard thing. Just keep doing it.
Father, I thank you that you want so much more for us than what in our sin nature we would do. And it's the truth that will set us free. So God, please help us find the freedom that comes from canceling cancel culture and living as, uh, with, with the kind of broadness and empathy that Jesus did. In Jesus' name, amen.